but yeah, John mentioned he's been a part of Jefferson for some 20 years. John, a very dear friend of mine, uh, one of my mentors, um, extremely uh, influential in my life and played a part in my call to ministry. So anytime he has a, a chance to come and share what God is doing through his ministry beyond Jefferson Avenue now and in Charlotte area working with Samaritan's Purse, uh, I just... We got to have lunch on Thursday, and I said, come on, come, come give us an update about where these shoeboxes go and what happens. I think we've been doing OCC for 15 years, something like that, maybe more. Um, so I'm, I'm just excited that we get to be uh, a part of that. So John took our scripture reading time, so I'm going to read our scripture for us today. Uh, we will be in Luke chapter 8, looking at verses 16 through 18. It says, no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Pray with me. Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity to open your word today and to hear from you. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be soft, that we would have ears to hear, that your spirit would move in our lives and give us understanding. Uh, Lord, bless this time, and we ask that you receive the glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So last week, as we uh, began this uh, look at the the parable of the sower, I started out by talking about selective hearing and how I think that it's a problem that we all have. We all hear those things we we want to hear, but we have a tendency to block out those things we don't want to hear. But I think there are also times when, like, if you don't get it right, like, it's, it's bad news. Sometimes it's not very significant, Okay, so maybe, maybe you uh, miss a digit on a phone number when you're writing it down, but because you didn't hear correctly, you're unable to make that call. Maybe you're driving down the road and your phone is telling you directions and you're not listening carefully and you miss, and then you hear rerouting, rerouting, rerouting for the next five minutes till you get back on track, right? So it's important that we hear. I, I used to be a waiter for a little while in my early 20s, and if, if I didn't get the order right, that tip starts to go down a little bit, right? So if, if we don't listen, if we don't hear, if we don't make connections, sometimes things go poorly. So we all develop these tricks, right, to help us learn, to, to remember. I personally am a write-it-down-and-repeat guy, all right? So I'll write it down and repeat. Uh, others like mnemonic devices. Sometimes you write a little song so you don't forget it. Whatever it is, at the end of the day, we listen to and remember the things that are important to us. And if you don't, your husband or wife will tell you, right? So we listen and remember the things that are important to us. Today we're going to go beyond selective hearing, and today we're going to look at how Jesus ended the parable of the sower. And what we will see is that within the greater context of the parable of the sower, we learn what it is to, as Jesus says in, uh, in verse 18, we learn what it is to take care how we hear the word of God. Take care how we hear the word of God. Now what I want to do is just for a quick minute is, is try to recap a tad from last week. So last week, when we looked at the peril of the sower, we saw that Jesus revealed that there are two substances in the story. There is the seed, and there is the soil, the seed and the soil. And Jesus explains that the seed is the word of God. Okay, so the word of God, this is the secret of the kingdom of heaven. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. In other words, the seed is the gospel. And then there are the four soils, all right? Those four soils are those who hear the word. Now, we don't have time to re-preach the whole sermon today, but the short version is that there are three kinds of soil that hear, 
but they don't really hear the word. But this fourth soil, the fourth soil is prepared for the seed. And, and there the word of God is planted and it takes root and produces a harvest. Now last week I made, a, I made my case that it is God who makes the seed grow. It is he who prepares the soil for the seed. Today I want to look at the next part. The question of how. How do we grow? What does it mean for that seed to take root in our lives and to grow deep and to develop in us and to produce fruit? So in verse 18 of Luke 8, Jesus says, take care then how you hear. Take care then how you hear. So that's where we're going today. We're going to look at this idea of taking care of how to hear. Now, the way I understand this idea of taking care to hear, this is growth. This is talking about spiritual growth. So we're going to ask, what is the way that we take care to hear the Word of God? And I think that what we will see is that taking care to hear the Word of God or growth happens when... We do these four things, okay? When we believe the word, when we listen closely to the word, when we obey the word, and when we share the word. So before we dig in too deep, I want to remind you that we're talking about the fourth soil, okay? God has prepared this soil. He has called us, and by his grace, we are his own. So before we can answer the question of what it means to, to take care, we need to ask the, this foundational question, okay? And that is, who is it that hears? Who is it that hears? So for today's purposes, for today's purposes, what we're talking about when we're talking about those who hear is we're talking about those who hear with understanding. Those who hear with understanding. This is the one for whom the seed lands in the soil that God had prepared. The others hear, but they hear without understanding, okay? The others hear, but they hear without salvation. They hear the message, but they don't trust in it, okay? So how do we take care in how we hear? Well, all right, first and foremost, we take care to hear by believing the word. That's the first one. We take care to hear by believing the word. We grow by trusting in and believing the word, the message, the gospel of Jesus. All right, now, as we look at this, as we unpack our passage today, we need to see that verses 16 through 18 are an extension of verse 15. Now, if you have your Bibles open, I'm pretty sure that most of your Bibles put a little subheading right here between verses 15 and 16. Anybody want to give me a head nod? Do you have that division there? All right, so we've talked about this before, that these subheadings are useful for reference, but they often just get on my nerves when it comes to interpretation. Okay, this, this shouldn't be there. This, this uh, causes a division where there isn't one. Okay, so verses 16 through 18 is actually a continuation of what it means for the seed to fall on prepared soil. All right, verses 16 through 18 is a continuation of what it means for the seed to fall on prepared soil. All right, so what we see is that these two verses clarify the good soil. Now, in Matthew chapter 13, that's Matthew's telling of the parable of the, sto of, of the sower, okay? In Matthew chapter 13, there in Matthew, Jesus makes very similar comments to what we see in verses uh, 16 through 18. But in the book of Matthew, in chapter 13, these comments are located between Jesus giving the parable and the explanation of the parable. Okay? And they are uh, addressed directly to the disciples. Now, this helps us see that 16 through 18 are not a new idea, but they are a continuation of the same idea that we are supposed to learn this as we understand what it is to be the good soil that receives the seed and produces fruit. 
So what Jesus is telling us is that the secret of the kingdom is revealed to those who believe. Now look at verse 15 with me. Verse 15 says, hold it. Hold it fast. Now what's the it? The it there is the seed. It's the word. Hold it fast and honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So what is this idea of holding the word fast and an honest and good heart? All right, well, let's talk about this, this concept here of holding fast. Holding fast is a belief and a trust described by a desperate clinging. You are holding on tight. You're grabbing it, and you're not letting it go. Embedded in the idea of holding fast is this notion of perseverance. Now, think back, all right? Now, remember, 15 and 16 through 18 go together. We're talking about the soil. So I want you to think about these other soils, the path, the thorny soil, and the rocky soil. Those other three soils, did they persevere? Did they make it? They did not. There was no fruit. There was no fruit of faith or trust, just dead, fruitless plants. Or we see the seed itself is just eaten up. But the one who holds fast to the word trusts it, clings to it with desperation. Now that clinging to it with desperation means that they believe it. So how do we take care to hear? First, we need to believe and trust the word of God. We need to trust the one who is providing the truth. Now, how do I know that it starts with faith? How do I know that this is the first thing? Well, actually, if you'll think back to where we've been in the book of Luke over the last several weeks, think back to chapter 7. And what do we see in chapter 7? But story after story of faith. The story of the centurion, right? who believed and didn't even have Jesus come to his house. We talked about this, how John the Baptist was wrestling with doubt, and what did Jesus do? He shored up his faith. And then as we talked about the woman who was caught in sin and came and worshipped Jesus at his feet and washed his feet, what did we see from her? What does Jesus say? He says, your faith has saved you. You have been forgiven because of your what? Faith. All through Luke 7, we see this pointing toward faith. This is where it's all headed. The foundation of understanding and taking care to hear is belief. Said another way, our spiritual growth starts with faith. Now, this means that Jesus is teaching us that there are two aspects of understanding. Two aspects of understanding. Okay? All right. There is an understanding that, that leads to saving faith. There is an understanding that leads to saving faith. And then there is an understanding that leads to a deeper faith and a closer relationship with Jesus. So there is a saving faith and there is a deeper faith. But church, here's the secret, okay? If you're going to hear that distinction between a saving faith and an understanding faith, a deeper understanding faith, okay, then you have to hear this part. The message is not different. It is the same one, okay? Both saving faith and a deeper faith come from the same, the same place, all right? They come from the same place. The same gospel truth that saves us is the same gospel truth that sustains us and makes us grow. It is the same one. We don't understand some new mystery. It is the same mystery, Taking care to hear is letting the truth of God's word penetrate deeper and deeper into the soil of our lives. Okay, listen, it is not more of something else. It is more of the same. Okay, it is more of the same thing. We take care to hear by believing and by believing more deeply. What this means is that we need to listen closely to what is said 
so we can go deeper. We need to listen closely to what is said so we can go deeper. And this is the second aspect of taking care to hear the word of God. We have to listen closely to the word. If we want to grow, we have to listen closely. So in Luke 8, Jesus shares this strange agricultural lesson that we talked about last week, and his disciples are like, what? What does this mean? And then what do we see in verse 9? In verse 9 it says, and when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, I just want you to think about that for a second. And we're talking about listening closely. All right. So what did they do to listen closely? They engaged with the word, Jesus himself. They asked him, and he spoke, and they listened. So if we want to take care to hear the word of God, then we have to listen closely. When the word speaks, what do we do? listen. And we listen to understand. We listen to understand. Now, this, this past year, almost a year ago, I, I finally finished my doctorate. Okay? Now, if you took each year that I was in school and said it was a grade, when I finished, I was in 24th grade. So I like to tell kids when they're like, hey, I'm in, I'm in second grade, I'm in third grade, yeah, I'm in 24th grade. Like, that was kind of fun to say. In all my, my 12 years post-high school, I, I learned two very uh, impractical, unhealthy, unwise, rather stupid and foolish coping mechanisms to being in school for that long. Okay? I learned how to hear without understanding. And I learned to read without understanding. Okay, so, so there were times when I was just so bored, so tired of school, right, that, that I could be present and not learn anything. I could actually turn in a paper and read a book and even get a good grade and not learn a darn thing. Okay, I learned how to look like I was learning but I actually didn't learn. I could give them what they wanted without being changed by the information I was supposed to be taking in. Any teacher here knows that you've had students that are the same way, right? I perfected it over 12 years post high school. Now we can do the same thing with the word of God. As church people, we can learn to be and we can learn to do what other church people expect. We can cheat the system. All right? If I just do this, then I do that, then I can look like I'm really growing in the faith. I can present myself that way. But listening to the word of God means asking Jesus and asking the Holy Spirit to teach our hearts. It is about listening with understanding. It is about allowing God's word not to just rattle around in our brain, but to transform us, to shape us, to make us more like him. It means coming to the word to learn and be transformed. And what I love, what I love about God's word is he promises to help us listen closely. We are not on our own. He says, I will help you listen. I will help this word go into your heart that it might change you. And part of this was in Jesus Christ through the promise of the new covenant. So in Jeremiah chapter 31, the, the, the prophet Jeremiah reveals to the people, this is long before Jesus was born, Long before the Holy Spirit arrived, this promise was made to God's people who was in sin, and he was calling them back to himself. The Lord said through Jeremiah, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. 
Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Listen. What does it mean to listen closely? I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord. Why? For they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, their sin, and I will remember their sins no more. God says through Jeremiah that he will put his law, his word, within them. That he will write it on their hearts. No one will have to teach them, for they will, what? Know him. And how do they know him? Through the word of God. For, for those who believe and are forgiven, they will know him. Now Jesus clarifies this for us in John 14. So now we're, we're talking about the new covenant as we talk about Jesus Christ. Jesus himself, years later, says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. How do we know him? For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What is Jesus saying? He will come to us through the Holy Spirit. He will make him. So Jesus what? In John 1 is the word made flesh. Word is revelation. It's understanding. It's knowing. So he says, I am the word. Now, now what is he saying here? I'm going to leave, but guess what? I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm going to return. And how am I going to return? I'm going to return as the Spirit in you. Let's see how it continues in verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Now when we see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, right? We will come and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So he's saying, listen, I'm not just saying this. I'm saying this because I've received this from the Father. Skipping to verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So what do we see in Jeremiah 31 and John 14? We see that if we listen, he will teach us. If we listen, his spirit will guide us. He will make himself known to us. He, he wants us to know him. And he wants us to know him more deeply. By faith in Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. And by the spirit, we can truly hear. By the spirit, we can have understanding and know God if we listen closely to the word where he is revealed. And if we ask the spirit to illuminate the scriptures, that's where we grow. That's where we mature. Now, we need to remember that the spirit is not divided against itself. So part of the joy of the church and even church tradition throughout history is that we need to check what we think the Spirit is telling us against others. Because the Holy Spirit speaks to other people too, amen? Not just us. Let me just tell you right now, you don't have a monopoly on the Spirit's voice. There is a chance that what you think is the Holy Spirit in your life is really your sin deceiving you. So when we think we have something 
from the Spirit, what do we need to do? Well, praise God we are in the church where we can share it with other believers. And if other believers are saying, mm-hmm, you should say, maybe I don't know, right? And then where do we go? Back to the Word. We listen closely to the Word. Now, even then, let's say the church itself starts to say, maybe this guy's on to something. Then what do they need to do? That one body of believers does not have a monopoly on the Spirit. So we need to check what we believe, even against what others believe outside of our church. And guess what? One more thing, y'all. 2023 doesn't have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was speaking to the saints before us. It is appropriate to check what you believe against what the church has believed for centuries. And if you have arrived at wildly new conclusions, you just need to pause and go back to the Word and ask the Spirit to illuminate His Word for you. We must listen closely to the Word of God and cling to the Spirit for understanding so that we can know him deeper. Because even with that warning in mind about how we might get sideways or confused, here's the thing I want you to know. God wants you to know him. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 reminds us that God is not a God of confusion. If we seek him, we will find him. I love this promise from Jeremiah 29 just a couple of chapters before what we read in 31. The Lord says this through Jeremiah, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and what church? Find me when you, what? Seek me with all your heart. When you listen closely. He wants to be found. If I, can, if I can tell you anything about this, it's that he wants to be found. He is not hiding from you. He has made himself known. If you believe and listen closely, but he might tell you something you don't want to hear. So there we offer the next part. The third way we take care to hear the word of God is to obey. Let's see how obedience is tied into this idea of taking care. How is obedience tied to our growth? Well, it starts in verse 15. Let's look at verse 15 again. All right. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, being, who hearing the word, hold, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. All right, now what does it mean to bear fruit? I mean, the, the possibilities here are numerous. Okay, so, so some would say that the fruit is the word of God developing more seed to be sown, right? So that would mean that, that bearing fruit is evangelism, okay? Some, some say that. All right, so, so why do we share the good news of Jesus Christ? Well, in part because we're told to, right? Okay? Now, some say that this fruit is Christ-like character. All right, so, so what is Christ-like character if it's not following the example of Christ in obedience? Others just cut right to the chase and say that the fruit is simply obedience to the word of God. Now, all I'm saying is that just about every interpretation, not all, but just about every interpretation, if we look at it closely, can be traced back to some form of obedience. What does it mean to bear fruit? Well, it's obedience in some capacity or another. Now, I told you guys at the beginning, we would look at the greater context here of the parable of the sower to help us understand. Why do I think it's obedience? I think it's obedience because Jesus literally says it is in just a couple of verses. Okay? So if we, if we continued, right, what comes after 18? 19. Okay? Get rid of that subheading, and let's look. What's 19 say through 21? 19 through 21 says, I just, I'm, I'm being silly to point out the immediate context. What is the immediate context of bare fruit? I'm glad you asked. 
Verse 19 through 21. Then his mother and brothers came to him. They could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. What does he say next? But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who, what? They do what? Hear the word of God and do it. So we're literally talking about hearing. And who's his brothers and sisters? Who's his family? Those who do it. Who do it. Hearing and doing are absolutely linked together. The temptation is for us to separate belief from obedience. Now I'm just thinking about, and this just came to me, okay, so... I uh, haven't worked all this way through. You guys get to observe Brandon verbal process something. Okay, so the, the parable of the rich man who, it's not the parable, it's the story. This one happened, all right, who says, hey, I believed, I believed you. I believe everything you said. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And what does Jesus say? Sell everything and follow me. And the guy says, nope, not doing it, okay? And he walks away sad because he had lots of stuff. All right, what do we learn? He said he said he wanted to follow. And at the end of the day, was he willing to do it? He wasn't willing to do it. So did he actually believe? Okay, so there's this temptation we have to separate belief from obedience. We want to say this. We believe first and we obey later. Jesus does not separate the two. To believe the word and to listen closely to the word is to obey. That does not preach well. I'm sure some of you are going, that's not what I learned. Okay. Do we obey perfectly without sin? No, not yet. Not yet. We do not obey perfectly without sin yet. But, in the coming kingdom of heaven, when we're with God for eternity, will we obey perfectly? Yes! Why are we moving the goalposts? All right, so we know in the end we will obey perfectly. So, is faith tied to obedience? If we know it's true eternally, it's also true presently. When we believe, we obey. When we listen closely, we obey. Do we do that perfectly? No. So praise God for his grace and look forward to the day when this sinful man will be dead, and the joy that will come when we do obey completely. So if the ultimate end of our faith is perfect obedience, then we should understand that the present reality of our faith is still obedience, no matter how imperfect that obedience may be. Now listen, I need you to listen really close. Real close. There's part of me that wants to tell you to lean in because I don't want you to miss this part, okay? Our faith is not secure by our ability to obey. Our faith is not secure by our ability to obey. Our faith is secured by Christ's ability to obey because he is the perfect sacrifice. He is the perfect one, the just one, the righteous one who died for us, the unjust the imperfect, and the unrighteous. You see, obedience is an extension of our faith. Our faith changes our minds. Our faith says, not my way, but your way, Jesus. We should see faith and obedience as one motion, much like repentance. Church, we are saved by grace through faith not by our works. Repentance is not a saving work, but turning from our sin is an expression of our faith. We take God's side against our sin. We admit our sins and confess them to Jesus, and we cling to his grace and his mercy for our forgiveness. But, at the same, but that same part of us that, that confesses our sin, yields in obedience. 
The same part of us that confesses our sin yields in obedience. Saving faith produces repentance and obedience. Here's the controversial word. Immediately. Imperfectly. Immediately. Imperfectly. We long for the day when our obedience is made perfect. But our obedience and our repentance happens with our faith. Let's go back to John 14 and see how Jesus links faith to obedience. Toward the beginning of John chapter 14, Jesus says this. And I said to him, and Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So let's talk about this word, the way. All right, so when Jesus says the way, what does he mean? All right, well, he means it in the sense that he is the one and only way to salvation. You can't get to salvation. You know this idea that, that we go up one side of the mountain and another religion goes up another side of the mountain, like that idea, but we're all headed to the top of the mountain. No, Jesus says, I am the way. There's only one side of this mountain. It's really a ladder, okay? That's it. There's no sides to this mountain. It's just one way, all right? But there's also another sense that he is the way. If he is the way, then what do you do? You follow the way. You follow the way. You go where he goes. You do what he does. You go where he goes. You do what he does. Listen to how he continues in John 14. He says in verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Will. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, this is a positive statement of repentance, right? Repentance says, I will turn from my sins. Okay, but this is the positive. Instead of saying repent, he says, if you love me, you will obey. In other words, you will walk in my ways, is what Jesus says. Then, then, all right, let's move down to verse 21 through 24. And what we see here is that Jesus doubles down on this point. We're going to do communion today, and we're going to go long, and it's going to be okay. Okay, so say a little prayer right now. Say a little prayer right now for our children's church workers and our nursery workers. Jesus doubles down in, in uh, 14, verses 21 through 24. All right? It says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Put your finger there in 21. What have we been talking about? Knowing God. What's he say? He, he's going to show up. He wants to be known. All right, verse 22. Judas, thankfully here, we have uh, some clarification from John. Not Iscariot, right? Uh, Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And, he, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. All right. So, again, we just talked about this. Did you see the phrase, manifest myself to him? All right. So to manifest here is to appear. It is to make known. It is to show. It is to reveal. Loving God keeping his word in obedience, and knowing God are all tied to each other. Look at how verse 23 puts it all together, right? Love Jesus, keeping his word, the Father and Son making their home within the believer. Now, this is, this is our love for God. This is God's love for us, motivating us and equipping us for obedience by the power of his indwelling Holy Spirit. Right? Now, verse, verse 24 here clarifies things for us, right? In case we're mistaken. What marks those who do not love Jesus? Disobedience. What marks those who don't love Jesus? Disobedience. Again, now, this is really important. So, again, I, I need you to hear this. If you've been tracking with me so far and you're like gritting your teeth because this is not what you're used to hearing, okay, I need you to understand what's going on in, in John 14. All right? John 14 does, does not mean, is not condemnation for the believer who does not obey perfectly. 
John 14 is not intended to be condemnation for the believer who does not obey perfectly. This passage is not meant to, to make us ro- you know, have turmoil. What Jesus means in John 14 is supposed to be an encouragement that clarifies what it means to love him. To love Jesus is to love the things he loves, amen? amen. To love Jesus is to hate the sin that Jesus hates. To, to love Jesus is to go where he goes and do what he does. To love Jesus is to follow him and imitate him. Now, James tells us that faith is demonstrated through obedience. Listen to this from James chapter 1, verses 22 through 24. It says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Do you see that there is a connection between belief and obedience? But like I said, and have said several times, we will fail to obey. So what do we do when we fail to obey? What do we do when we keep messing up? We go back to the word of God that we believe and we listen closely to it. We go back. We need the Word of God to help us grow. Now look back with me at Luke chapter 8, verses 16 through 18. Listen. It's about to get good. Y'all, I got two more pages, and I'm going to preach the whole thing, okay? Luke 8, 16 through 18 says, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest. Will not be revealed, right? Right? Nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Now, listen, as I studied this passage, something really cool stuck out to me. Remember, as we've been looking at verse 15, verse 15 leads us to verse 16. Now, here in verse 16, Jesus mixes up his metaphors. Okay, so the seed in the parable of the sower is the word of God. But now here we switch in verse 16 and we get, we get this lamp, we get a light. No longer is the word of God seed, now the word of God is a light. Okay, it's a, it's a lamp. Now, when you have the word of God, what do you do? Hide it under a bushel. No, right, you, you let it shine. You, you put it up on a stand, you don't hide it. When you have the word of God, you put it out so that whoever may enter... Can see, all right? So you put it on a stand so that whoever may enter can see. Now, we switch here from hearing to seeing. So in both cases, the word of God reveals through light and through word, okay? And then in both cases, our human senses represent understanding. The word of God is put out so all who enter it can see. So what do we do if we disobey? We go back to the light, It says, all who enter can see. There is an obligation as us, as the church, to one another to put our lamp on a stand so that when our brothers and sisters are around and they enter, what can they do? See. They might have put their light under the bed. They need to come into the light to experience the truth of the gospel, of the word of God, where transformation happens, where growth happens. They need to be in the light. Disobedience in 1 John is described as living in darkness. We are supposed to take out of the darkness and bring into the light. It is the word of God that reveals to us our areas of weakness where we need to grow. The word of God, do you see this, how it's the same message? The same message that saves us is the same message that sustains us. 
So when, when he says, all right, how do we take care to hear? We have to believe it. We have to believe it. We have to listen closely to it. We have to obey it. And when we disobey it, repeat step one, repeat step two. And as we obey, we get to step four, which is share. Share. Share the word. And we share this in a twofold way. All right, in the one sense we share, just like I talked about, putting our lamp on a stand for those who enter, helping our brothers and sisters grow in their faith. And then, as we talked about the parable of the sower, we share in the other sense that this is sharing the word of God with the lost world. This is evangelism. This is putting the seed out there, the truth of the gospel that is sustaining us and renewing us day by day. It should be so good to us, so wonderful to us, producing fruit in us that we cast our seed not just to the church, that the church might be encouraged, but to the world, so that the world might see the truth. We share the word of God. He has given us that mission. And how are we saved? As, I, as we walk through all this, and I think about this idea of what it means to take care, to hear the word, it starts with belief. We have to believe God's word. We have to listen closely to God's word. And we have to obey what God's word said. Again, now when we talk about this idea of obedience, I do not want anybody walking out of this room thinking that I am saying that we obey for salvation. We do not obey for salvation. We are saved by Christ's work, not our own. We obey because that's what it means to believe. There is grace when we disobey. And there is forgiveness for our sin. But if we truly believe it, then we do it. And finally, if we're taking care to hear, then we share it. We share it with believers to encourage them to walk in the Lord. And we also share it with unbelievers that they may come to know the truth. As we end, I, I want to take time to look at verse 18 again. It says this. This is a callback to the parable of the sower. There are three types of soil that don't yield fruit. Let's look here again at the, at the verse in verse 18. It says, take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Now, like I just said, that's a callback to the parable of the sower and the three types of soil that don't yield fruit. In all three cases, right, what they have is taken away. In this, the, the seed that's on the path, the birds come, take it away. Then the one that's on the rocky soil, it sprouts up. What happens? It dies. It's, it's taken away. The choked, it grows up, it dies. It's taken away. What they think they have, what they think they have, doesn't say what they have, right? What does Jesus say? What they think they have, even what they think they have, will be taken away. The truth is there was never anything there, but even what they thought they had was taken away. Now, ultimately, I think this is the final judgment. This is those who, who don't believe, and, and even what they think they have is taken away. Are there not those who will say on the last day, Lord, Lord, did I not do whatever in your name? And he will say, depart from me, I never knew you, right? So those who think they have, even what they think they have is taken away. But verse 18 starts with this. It starts, it starts with saying, those who have, more will be given. This is first demonstrated, right, in the, in the parable of, of the seed here, bearing fruit a hundredfold. Even what they have, more will be given. So what does it mean to be given more? All right, well, I think, I think it means this, that there is saving understanding, and then there is deeper understanding. There is coming to a faith in Jesus Christ through, through knowing the gospel, and then there is more. There is more. There is deeper knowing of the gospel and appreciating it. And this more continues into eternity. And the way that we know the Father in eternity is even greater than we will know him now. To the one who has, even more will be given. So how do we respond to this? He has more to offer us who believe. He has more to reveal to us about himself through his word. I don't think we can ever reach the bottom of what God has to show us about himself through his word. So think about that for a second. 
The God of the universe wants to know you. He has set his affections on you. He loves you. He loves you so much that he made himself known to you by becoming a man, Jesus. God in the flesh. He loved you so much that he died in your place. He loved you so much that he took the punishment that you deserve. No one took his life from him. He laid it down so that he could take it back up again. He did not just die for you. He rose from the dead for you. So how do we respond? How do we respond to that? We respond with thanksgiving and praise. We respond by remembering. So this is why we take communion. And this is why we're going to take communion today. Communion is a chance for us to pause and remember the great depths of his love. It is a chance to remember the sin that stood between us and a holy God. It is a chance to ask him to forgive us our sins. The sins that he's already forgiven before we came to salvation, we remember those, we praise him for his forgiveness, and we ask him for forgiveness for those sins we have committed since. It's a chance for us to praise him for the grace that he has shown us by forgiving us. It's a chance for us to remember the price he paid so that we might have the joy of knowing him now and forever. So we're going to sing this song in just a second. And for those of you who are guests or haven't been with us on how we take communion, you guys will be dismissed as we sing this song to go get the elements. You'll get, you'll get the bread and the juice and you'll come back to your seat. And then after the first song, we'll take communion together. As we sing this song, church, it's my encouragement to you, reflect. Reflect. Remember what separated you from God. Remember the lengths that he went to to save you and be known. Praise him for it. And if you have any sin in your heart and life that you need to confess, and as we sing this song, it's my prayer that the Lord will work on you. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, we thank you and praise you for the way you love us. Father, I pray as we pause and, and remember communion that you would um, uh, stir our hearts toward you, stir our affections toward you. We thank you for all you do. It's in your name we pray.